Technology is the key driver of change in healthcare industry, especially in surgical specialties. In the world of maxillofacial surgery, virtual planning, navigation surgery, and computer-assisted surgery have set new standards when it comes to accuracy, feasibility, and efficiency. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into the cutting edge of computer-assisted maxillofacial surgery, and we have a special guest here to thoroughly discuss this topic. Dr. Daniel Bookbinder is one of the leaders in computer-assisted maxillofacial surgery. As most of you guys may know, Dr. Bookbinder is the chief of oral maxillofacial surgery at Mount Sinai, as well as a member of the board of trustees of the AOCMF Foundation. And he just came back from the first ever global symposium on computer-assisted surgery. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Bookbinder. Thank you for having me. How was the course? The course was uh, excellent. Uh, as you mentioned, this was the first global expert symposium uh, on uh, computer-assisted surgery, patient-specific uh, um, uh, implants and navigation. And um, I think what was really very impressive is that we had representation not only uh, from all over the world globally and most specifically maybe from Germany because they seem to be ahead in this type of technology, but we also had representation from all of the specialties uh, that perform uh, uh, maxillofacial procedures, including plastic surgery, oculoplastics, otolaryngology, and of course maxillofacial surgery. Um, the discussions were very interesting. Uh, we shared experiences. We also shared uh, pitfalls, you know, with these types of, um, with adapting new technology. And hopefully uh, we came up with uh, guidelines on uh, how to uh, use uh, this technology safely and efficiently. And you guys had cut a very specimen participant. Yes, so, so the second part of the uh, of this symposium was a computer-assisted course sponsored by the AO Foundation. And uh, during that course, we had 60 um, course participants. Um, we had, the, it was three very specific areas. One area was the, uh, uh, the use of computer-assisted surgery uh, and patient-specific implants and reconstructive surgery. So we had a, uh, the harvesting of a fibula and using patient-specific guides and patient-specific plates to reconstruct a hemimandible. Uh, the second area of uh, concentration of this course was on orbital and mid-phase reconstructions where uh, the participants were able to um, scan their patient and then using navigation and patient-specific plates uh, reconstruct or construct an orbital floor fracture together with a zygoma uh, fracture. And then finally, uh, we had an orthognathic module where using uh, sawbones in a lab exercise, we were able to uh, uh, execute a, um, a virtual plan or a computer-assisted plan uh, using uh, patient-specific guides, or in this case, model-specific guides and model-specific plates. So it was very exciting, and I think everybody left there very Yeah, energized. it sounds like a fully packed weekend. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, AO has many, many great courses, and I have been able to take some of them, but uh, I never feel like I can fully utilize all the opportunities that AO puts out there. So for the first time listener, my name is Maria McBarry. Welcome to Oral Max Facts, the, your first ever podcast offering evidence-based when it comes to oral maxillofacial surgery topics. 
Our goal with today's discussion is to go over the workflow of computer-assisted surgery. We're going to talk specifically about the CBCT, CBCT machine specifics. We're going to talk about case selection and how you're going to about set this computer-assisted surgery in your office. Dr. Bookbinder, can you take us down the history lane? Is that how people say it? Yeah, you can say the history lane. And, you know, this is, uh, fortunately, it's not such a long history. Uh, this, this all started probably in the very late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when um, uh, the uh, ability to manipulate DICOM um, data and obtain 3D models and then subsequently uh, perform computer-assisted surgical procedures uh, the challenge at that time was to actually take the uh, plan that you performed so beautifully on, on, uh, on a uh, computer or virtually and then take that into the operating room. And um, one of the ways that uh, it was solved initially was uh, via the use of navigation. Uh, navigation is, uh, can be very precise. It's usually within one to two millimeters. Mm -hmm. However, be the challenge that we had in oral and maxillofacial surgery, and specifically in orthognathic surgery, was the fact that the lower jaw or the mandible is a, a mobile uh, bone, and then every time the uh, jaw is moved in, uh, intraoperatively, then the patient should be re-registered because the, uh, the uh, navigation would be inaccurate. So that was really not a very viable solution to transfer the plan into the operating room or as we call it from, uh, you know, from digital to the OR. So subsequent to that, you know, we had uh, an intermediate step where we were using uh, basically wafers or occlusal splints to try and take the plan and, uh, and, and perform it in the operating room. But as you all know, this is uh, also not very precise. And, uh, and, you know, it didn't really offer a very significant advantage. But I think over the last uh, three years uh, in, in the U.S. and a little bit more than that in, in Europe, uh, we now have these uh, patient-specific cutting guides. But not only do we have the patient-specific cutting guides, but the cutting guides have built-in uh, holes that can relocate uh, the, the, the holes of the plate in the final position. So these predictive holes actually allow you to uh, drill the holes before performing the osteotomy. And then when you line up all of the bony segments using the patient, the 3D printed patient specific plate, there's only one position that you can uh, position that piece of osteotomized bone or reconstructed bone. So therefore you would have very, very precise results. You guys have seen the application of computer-assisted surgery in full scope of oral maxillofacial surgeries, such as implants, when it comes to TMJ reconstructions, fibulars, or trauma. We will go through just a brief review of workflow to bring everyone up to speed. There are many companies equipped to do computer-assisted surgery. Depending on which plating company you use, they're contracted to different ones, but some of the major ones are materialized, 3D system healthcare, and protomed. You're planning an orthognathic surgery. You have the patient come in two to three weeks prior to the surgery date for the final data collection. Preferably patient is in the final surgical wire and you do your clinical assessment and photograph as same as the traditional surgery. So what is different? You don't do the Facebook and you Definitely don't do the model surgeries, everyone. <laughs> no more plaster. So, so yeah, I, I think this has been a major advantage. And I think uh, probably the uh, 
folks that benefit the most from that are the residents and I'm sure everybody's happy not to have to uh, sit there and uh, dabble with all of the plaster getting it all over yourself and spending hours uh, mounting you know trimming and mounting uh, the cast using the face bow and then uh, spending countless hours and weekends actually performing the model surgeries uh, with uh, some you know some uh, I guess work related injuries such as you know burning your fingertips with the uh, with the wax with the hot wax and I still remember when I was a resident you know not having any fingerprints for a long time because, <laughs> because of uh, you know burning the tips of my fingers uh, with uh, with the sticky wax, so I think I think it's a it's a huge uh, advantage. We tend to um, still you know insist on having the residents maybe perform one or two uh, sort of old fashioned uh, workups just so that uh, uh, the residents still um, appreciate the complexity of performing a workup. Yes, we certainly do, and uh, uh, it's it's a lot of work, as you all know. But you know, it has more advantages than just residents not uh, doing all the workup. It it empowers all the oral surgeons out there if they want to do orthognathic surgery and they don't have residents to be able to do it, just from the ease of their office. Yeah, that's very true. I think I think not only is it uh, is it uh, very popular in in academic centers such as uh, where we practice, but also, it's, uh, it's become very popular in private practices because, uh, obviously, uh, the time that the practitioner would have to spend uh, on uh, the workup uh, is really not time well spent because, you know, the, uh, the surgeon could be performing uh, procedures or other things during that time. So, from a financial standpoint of view, uh, even though the initial uh, sticker shock may be there for the cost of... Uh, computer-assisted planning and patient-specific plates, but at the end of the day, the time that the surgeon uh, saves is really worth all that uh, uh, money that's invested into the plan. An ability to be able to serve a population that probably otherwise had to travel hours and hours and they might have not done it. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they would have to refer these patients to academic centers uh, so they could be treated. So this really brings out the... uh, the ability to treatment plan out to the community. What are some of the other advantages of computer-assisted surgery? Yeah, so, so beside what we talked, what we discussed, you know, in terms of saving time and hopefully saving uh, money as well, uh, one of the major advantages is accuracy. And, you know, I've been practicing now for a few decades, and, and I think one of the toughest um, procedures for me was to reposition the maxilla uh, in three dimensions in space, uh, especially when you're dealing with a uh, with the correction of a cant or a yaw or a roll, so where you're changing the, uh, the occlusal cant or you're changing the occlusal plane. And, you know, we always used internal and external references to do that, but, you know, it was never satisfying because I always felt that it wasn't precise. And as a matter of fact, you know, there are many studies that show uh, that the, uh, that, you know, effectively, you know, these uh, surgeries were not all that precise before using um, computer-assisted planning and patient-specific plates. And in addition to that, there's this technology really helps you go to the OR super prepared. We will know exactly where our bone interferences are, which, enam- which tooth needs an enameloplasty, and it has educational advantage for residents or whether you want to have another colleagues tuning in to have another opinion on a complex case as well. 
Yeah, so that's that's very true as well. So we do use the uh, the sessions as uh, teaching sessions because um, now you're able because of the data that you have on uh, on your on your DICOM data, you're able not only to visualize the bones but you can also visualize the nerves, the teeth, uh, the tooth roots, etc. So you can plan your osteotomies as you said before you get into the OR, so you know exactly where you'd like to perform your osteotomies, where the nerve is and other vital structures to try and avoid, uh, and where you'd like to place your hardware again to try avoid injury to the uh, to these structures. So, and then lastly, you, you mentioned also communication, and I think this is a very valuable point as well, because uh, not only are you able to teach, but you're able to communicate both with the uh, patient uh, to try and explain to them what the procedure entails, but also to communicate with your referring orthodontist because it makes it so much easier to visualize the uh, the problem that you have, the asymmetry or the bony asymmetry uh, that you're trying to correct. Exactly. That's, uh, that's a very good point. I forgot about the importance of orthodontics communication. Yeah. And it kind of like basically takes you away from just looking at maxilla mandible and to just looking at the entire skull as well. Sometimes you recognize a level of asymmetry that previously was completely unable to be detected. I think uh, having said that, you know, I just want to stress also that it's, it's, uh, it remains very important essentially almost that uh, that you do have to perform a proper clinical exam you know as much as we're discussing uh, computer assisted planning and the accuracy of computer assisted planning but it's really a means to affect uh, what you have in mind in terms of uh, movements and corrections uh, and this all comes from a very thorough clinical exam so this does not uh, obviate the need for a good clinical exam uh, and also uh, getting radiographs and then correlating that with the uh, sort of where the midlines are, the maxillary mandibular midlines, the smile line, uh, as well as, you know, vis uh, visually trying to see if there's any uh, cant or asymmetries. And then with all that information, then you come up with a problem list and then you have an idea of what surgeries you'd like to perform. And basically computer-assisted uh, surgery helps you uh, you know, plan maybe a little better uh, the case and then certainly, uh, you know, take it to the operating room and, and get a better outcome. So I came across this prospective randomized blinded case control that compared the accuracy of the traditional versus 3D planning techniques. And in this study came from Sweden. There were 30 patients in each group of 2D planning versus 3D planning. And they, all patients in both groups underwent VSSO with 5 millimeters of set back. And their conclusion, when they measured multiple points for accuracy in pre- and post-surgery imaging, was that when it comes to accuracy of maxilla, 3D planning definitely has an advantage. But they kind of argue that unless you have severe symmetry, 3D planning may not be necessary. How do you go about your case selection? And do you use patient-specific plate in all your cases? Yes, yeah, so, so that's a really very good question that, uh, that you ask here. I think, um, you know, one has to be very careful not to overuse this type of technology because as you mentioned and as the study mentioned, uh, you know, using um, computer-assisted planning and patient-specific plates for a... A straightforward setback or single jaw surgery is not really necessary. 
and the reason is that you know you have your other job that's going to guide you to your final occlusion and i think um you uh, you know it's it's really a uh, sort of overusing this type of technology uh, you also mentioned in your question that they they said that you know it was very helpful in repositioning the maxilla and we already discussed that earlier uh, because uh, you know repositioning the maxilla is key um, and uh, and for bimaxillary surgery so getting back to your question do i use this in all of my cases and the answer is absolutely not and we try we we tend to re reserve this type of planning for bimaxillary surgery for sure but uh, more specifically for cases of asymmetry where it's very difficult to uh, to perform a precise surgery otherwise Okay, that makes sense. And uh, let's go back to data collection. As we mentioned earlier in the recording, the occlusal relationship is a critical step of data collection. And there, you know, we typically take models still, uh, but some people use intraoral scanners. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, so. So what happens? Just so that we haven't really discussed the workflow, but for people to understand is, in order for the uh, uh, to, to print CAD-CAM made uh, occlusal wafers, you need to have a very precise uh, occlusal anatomy and the cone beam CT scans will not offer that type of occlusal anatomy. So what you really need to do is either you need to take models, as you mentioned, you know, plaster cast and send them to the company and they optically scan these models. And then they, what they do is they fuse the optical scan or the STL output to the DICOM images in order to obtain a very precise uh, occlusal topography, and then they use that for um, they use that for the fabrication of the splints. Mm -hmm. Now, so if you choose to um, uh, not to do that, then obviously you can uh, scan the occlusion yourself. Um, and when you scan the occlusion yourself, you use intraoral scanners, as you mentioned, and then you send that STL data, which is basically what they would do anyways. And uh, they're able to fuse that to the to the data from the uh, uh, cone beam CT scan. Uh, one thing that's uh, sort of uh, the disadvantage of not using the models is that you cannot set the occlusion mm -hmm. then uh, before you send the models to the company, and then you'd have to set the occlusion virtually if you use an intraoral scan. Um, you know, as the uh, technology gets better and better, and the ability to predict collisions where the teeth meet and the ability to adapt to uh, not having a haptic feedback when you're trying to place the occlusion into, uh, into the final occlusion, uh, then I think it will become easier and more acceptable, accepted and acceptable uh, uh, means of, uh, of setting the occlusion all virtually or as they call it, waferless or splintless. Okay, so the accuracy of it's still not up to speed, you would say? So the, the accuracy is pretty good, but I think it's just that there's a steep learning curve because now you lose that haptic feedback. You're not able to see how the models fit, feel how the models fit. And you're doing that all by using different slices. You know, you're looking at your sagittal coronal uh, slices and you're seeing where the cusps of the maxillary teeth, you know, meet the cusps of the mandibular teeth and where the collisions are. Mm -hmm. And to try and predict, as you mentioned earlier, how much occlusal reduction you'd have to make in order to get a better fit of your final occlusion. Yes, is our adaptability of these technologies is what's uh, holding us back, basically, to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's, a, it's, it's our adaptability and our learning curve, really, and it's pretty steep. But also the uh, the technology, so the ability to have these uh, 
uh, collisions, you, you know, being able to be demonstrated and to let us know, okay, so you'd have to reduce uh, that cusp or you'd have to reduce, um, you know, the fossa by half a millimeter or so on to, to, to get a better occlusion. You know, there are some companies or some uh, research labs that are working on this uh, snap-to-fit type of automatic algorithm mm -hmm. where the occlusion, uh, the occlusal surfaces of the maxilla and mandible are scanned and then there's an, an algorithm that will give you a best fit. And I think once this becomes, uh, you know, validated, I think that would be uh, probably another huge leap in, in this type of uh, technology. Will be a leap into the leap future. Into the future yeah. <laughs> So going back again to data collection, because it's, it's a key point of using these technologies to having proper data, we of course have to get a CBCT or CT scan. Which one do you prefer, Dr. Bookbinder? So, yeah, I'm not going to name any, any companies here because, uh, you know, obviously that's not the point here. But I think what's really important is that you have to make sure that your, your cone beam CT scanner takes submillimeter uh, cuts. And I think mm -hmm. most of the CT scanners uh, today do. But the second most important point, or actually the first most important point, is the size or the, the size of the uh, of the scanning plate, and you know, or the field of view. And you know, if you if you are going to um, have accurate three uh, uh, D models, your field of view has to be at least twenty three to twenty five centimeters, and not all uh, machines offer you this uh, this size of field of view. So you, when you're choosing your Combeam CT scanner. You have to try to get one with at least a 23 to 25 centimeter field of view. Now, some machines will stitch, so they will do a double scan and then they will stitch the two um, scans together. But obviously, that builds in some inaccuracies, usually not quite uh, important because that's at a level that's higher than the occlusal planes and the maxilla. But still, it's a, it's an inaccuracy that you're building into, into your workup. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you go about capturing patients in CR? Yeah, so, so that's also extremely important because many people are now doing the, uh, their bimaxillary cases fully guided and with patient-specific plates. And unless you have captured your patient perfectly in CR, then you're not going to be able to uh, use the, uh, the computer, uh, the 3D printed plates, both in the maxilla and the mandible, because obviously you're never sure if you've captured, captured the correct CR. Now, so what we tend to do is we tend to uh, use a bite registration uh, polysiloxane. Uh, we place the patients into CR and then we actually have them scanned using uh, this, uh, this occlusal wafer and, uh, to try and be as precise as possible and keep them in CR so that when we get to the operating room then we know the proximal segments will be seated in the glenoid fossa. We wanted to discuss a little bit the protocol. So the protocol is to uh, how do you do a, a workup these days? And the protocol is that you perform a immaculate clinical exam and uh, data. You get some photographs as we always did. If you have a 3D uh, camera, that's even better because you can uh, take that file and you can fuse it to the, uh, uh, to the cone beam CT file and then you can show the patient a better representation instead of just a CT mask here, you can show their, their own picture. Uh, onto the 3D plan and then you can show them, you know, it's the, the, the prediction, you know, obviously it's not 100% uh, precise, but it gives them a very good idea of uh, what they could expect uh, as a result of the surgery. So, so these are the things that you need to get. You need to get a, a, the DICOM files and then you upload all of these 
to the uh, to the uh, service provider mm -hmm. but before you do that you should always do your own plan and unfortunately we still do the plans and and uh, to the uh, in a lateral view because most of us have programs that will only do it in a lateral view so we go to the cephalometric analyses uh, we come up with a problem list and then we come up with a plan and then once we have all that in mind uh, then we're able to do this uh, session with the clinical engineers where we uh, perform the virtual surgery. Okay, Dr. Buchbinder, just to summarize all this information that you just shared with us for our audience, is that when it comes to your CBCT, it's important to have that field of view of 23 to 25. Yes, ideally, yes, because uh, otherwise you'd have to rely on the stitching that yeah. we mentioned. And to make sure that you capture your patients in CR. Those are the, the two key points. <laughs> so these are the key points that you need from a technical point of view uh, to, to, uh, to try and minimize the, uh, the errors that you build into the plan. There's more going on behind the scene, right? When we give all these uh, files to the companies, they, we, we show up to the meetings using these go-to meetings and then the, the skull is all color-coded. Yeah, and Everything magically appears. And there's a lot of work behind the scenes, as you mentioned. And the first thing that they do when they receive the data, they make sure that there is no motion artifact and they make sure that the data is clean. And then what they do is they build this 3D virtual model. And the 3D virtual model is usually one color. And the reason that you see all these colorful sort of segmentations, that's what it's called, is in order to be able to move an object, uh, you know, to from uh, the skull or from the mandible, if you want to move the distal segment, what you need to do is you need to create a different or a separate object. So, uh, you know, usually what you'll see is you'll see the segmentation of the upper jaw following the cutting lines of uh, the fourth one osteotomy, and that gives it a different color. So you know that this object can be moved separately from the upper facial skeleton. Similarly, with the mandible, you'll see the right and left uh, rami, you know, following a sagittal osteotomy or IVRO, if you prefer. And then the distal segment will be a different color, so you'll have three different colors. And now you know that each segment can be manipulated. Separate. Yeah. Furthermore, you, you know, we mentioned earlier that we also, they also segment the teeth and mm -hmm. the nerves so that you're able to appreciate the position of the teeth and the nerve when you're planning your osteotomies. And uh, of course, as you alluded to it earlier, they do what is called tomography, yes. scan the models into yeah. the yeah. CT scan. That's an optical, we mentioned it's called an optical scan and, and the optical scan is, is very precise and that's to really capture the topography of the occlusal surfaces to fabricate, if you choose to have uh, these CAT CAM fabricated occlusal splints, whether it's an intermediate or a final occlusal mm -hmm. splint, you need to have a more precise representation of the occlusion. So that's why you can either send them your models or you can use the intraoral scanners as we mentioned earlier. This question came from one of our audience. If you want to segment your maxilla, can you just go off of what you see in those meetings, the virtual, in your virtual planning, or you still have to look at your pan to make sure that you're not hitting a, hitting a tooth? No, absolutely. Uh, I think you know the pan is, uh, will probably introduce a lot more error than your 3D model. Because in the uh, uh, you know in the panorex or orthopantomogram, what it does is it really follows a curve, which is uh, quite imprecise, and then it flattens out the object. Whereas in the 3D planning, you're able to really appreciate uh, the 3D morphology of your dentition and your skeleton. So 
you can really plan your osteotomy cuts knowing that you're safe and knowing that you're avoiding all the tooth roots. So it's okay. a bit more precise even. If on your panoramic it looks like your roots are near each other, but then on your VSP it looks fine, is it safe to go with the VSP? I think the data, if, you, you know, if you're using uh, accurate data from your uh, um, cone beam CT scanner, and certainly you are because you have sub-millimeter uh, mm-hmm. cuts, um, then you're able to really judge the space that you have and not in two dimension, not going around the curve, but being able to, to see the real anatomy in three dimension. Perfect. Okay, so let's go over the feasibility of an office setup. What it takes to really set up computer-assisted surgery in your office? So, you know, setting up, and again, we're just discussing orthognathic surgery today, but, uh, but setting it up really will not disrupt the workflow that you have already. Uh, you know, the only addition is to, you know, obviously make sure that you have even either access to a cone beam CT scanner, or if not, you can refer your patients to a radiology um, uh, department where they can uh, get a medical-grade CT scan. The only disadvantage is that there's uh, more radiation mm-hmm. with a medical-grade CT scan, and if you do that, you have to insist on getting the raw DICOM data because usually because of the large amount of data that uh, is stored in a in a radiology office, what they do is they, when they send you this, uh, the CD, they only do cuts at two and a half millimeters or three millimeter cuts. And here you need, as we mentioned, uh, sub-millimeter cuts. So you need the raw data. You need, you need to insist that you get uh, actual views at sub-millimeters so that you can uh, have an accurate 3D model. But other than that, and you know, of course, we mentioned if, uh, if you want to go, uh, completely uh, digital, then you also need to have a uh, intraoral scanner to be able to capture the occlusal surfaces. Um, you can still do that using uh, dental casts that you can uh, send to the company, but if you prefer uh, to do away with uh, alginate and with uh, plaster, mm-hmm. then you can certainly go with a, with an intraoral scanner. I was curious about the cost of setting this up in your office or whether or not it makes sense, especially in a private setting where you know, uh, our surgeons may be hesitant as they may not have the high volume of an academic setting. And I found this study that uh, was actually out of University of Texas Health Science, and they, they look at this very question. The cost of each method was divided into the time and other costs. They basically estimated this cost based on a small group of six experienced surgeons in the United States, And their main conclusion is, as long as you do six surgeries per year, the cost of using 3D computer-assisted surgery will be less than conventional methods. They say that computer-assisted surgery costs around 1900, very precise, 1900, and the standard method costs 3500. And I think in the study they're counting the the surgeon's time into all the the workup that it takes. Yeah, I think that's a very good point that you bring. You know, obviously, you have to read liter- the literature very critically. And, uh, you know, if uh, the pure cost, obviously, is more when you're using computer-assisted surgery, but if you, if you factor in the time that uh, experienced surgeons, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, would spend uh, performing the workup, then, you know, obviously, it, it negates the, the cost of the computer-assisted surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for most people, uh, you know, for a very busy academic center, the, the returns are clear. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking at performing, you know, less than 10 uh, orthognathic surgeries a year, uh, you know, 
does it pay to buy an intraoral scanner and or a cone beam CT scanner? And the answer is probably not. But however, these services are readily available, you know, as a service and you don't really need to have a huge investment. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, as we mentioned, you can send them to a radiology center for the cone beam CT and then you can get plaster casts and you have, you can have very, very accurate uh, workups that way with minimal investment. There you go. And the evidence and expert opinion lineup. What is a beautiful thing. Okay, so this is where we're going to end our first episode with Dr. Bookbinder. Thank you again for your time, for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you here at the end of the day. It's Friday right now, and uh, Dr. Bookbinder has been operating more than 10 hours. Well, thank you. It's, it's really a pleasure because uh, to share this information with everybody because this has been a passion of mine. Uh, and really uh, something that I've uh, worked on for many years now, for over a decade. And I think uh, that it's really, as, I, as we mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, that uh, it's probably one of the most important advances in uh, orthognathic surgery, at least for the last two decades. So thank you for having me. I hope that uh, we've been able to demystify some of the... Uh, some of the uh, mysteries around computer-assisted surgery, and I look forward to the second part of the podcast. Until next time, goodbye!